I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This is David and this is your new episode of Baselayer. And I'm really happy about this one and excited as I usually am, but this one is really specific because Fernando Martinelli, the CEO and co-founder of Balancer, was with me today. Fernando, how are you? I'm good, David. Um, Thanks for having me here. Really looking forward to it, although highly jealous of where you are calling in from and where I am right now. You're probably looking at beautiful beaches and sunrises and everything like that down there in your part of the neck of the woods. I'm uh, looking at the woods, but I'm happy to look at the woods these days instead of just being locked in an apartment in the city. But uh, we'll have some fun with this. Um, Fernando comes from a really, really unique background. Uh, spent time at Bain, uh, has been a founder and co-founder of other projects. We'll talk all about that. Um, and Balancer is a very integral part of this new world of DeFi or open finance, which has exploded. And I say that word very calculated because the amount of uh, total value locked in this world jumped from $830 million at the end of April of this year to over $4 billion, um, which is amazing because just last week when I was recording with some folks in this space, it was around $3 billion. And so every week I'm doing this, it's another billion dollars that's just coming into this world. So it's just amazing. And Balancer is becoming a very big part of that. We're going to learn why. So Fernando, if you could, what we'd like to do before we go too deep into the company and the project and what you're building Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you did, and what we really like to focus in on in that story is when, not necessarily when your Bitcoin moment was, you know, everyone's kind of got that in their air quotes, your Bitcoin moment, but what specifically about this revolution and about what was being built really inspired you to build something? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a mechatronics engineer. Um, I did a master's in robotics and image processing. I also did an MBA at the Sorbonne University in Paris work as a strategy consultant for Bain Company in Germany. I started my first company when I was 14. It was a cyber cafe. I was addicted to Counter-Strike back then and figured Mm -hmm. there was a lot more demand than supply. Mm -hmm. So that kind of got the the seed of uh, entrepreneurship in me and kept founding companies. I moved to Europe for uh, seven years, then got back to Brazil and I'm actually moving to, to Europe again. But uh, yeah, it was when I, the first time I heard about Bitcoin, it was in end, end of uh, 2012. And I immediately kind of disregarded it as a Ponzi scheme, something that could only go up in price if more people bought it. And like this limited supply, I was like, no, no, this is, this is really uh, something that uh, I shouldn't really touch. But then I, I heard about it again early 2013 and, and, and looked like took some more time to look into it. And then it struck me like struck me like the, 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 this idea of being able to send money to somebody else without any intermediate and uh, like 
yeah, the double spending problem being solved was, uh, was, was really my aha moment and I really liked it. But I, I kind of realized that it wouldn't be so useful if there were no way to make it stable because like mass adoption requires stability, simplicity. And only when Ethereum came about, and I, I read the white paper, was very excited. I, I, I saw the potential to build stable coins with smart contracts. And I, I, that, that was what led me to, to get involved in the MakerDAO community early on as well. So I, I did some collaboration around some like control theory for the target price feedback mechanism back then in early, uh, late 2015 uh, and, and early 2016. And this is actually how the balancer kind of community and team was put together. Like the, all of us know each other loosely from the early MakerDAO days. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got involved with, uh, with MakerDAO so early on. That's how I got to meet Nikolai and Rune and uh, Mike McDonald, who turned out to be our CTO and, and co-founder yeah. as well. This is a little bit of uh, how we got here today with Balancer. Awesome. And if Rune is listening to this, the invite has been out to come out on the show for a few months now. So if you want to come on, you know, uh, happy to have you on. Mariano did a great job about seven months ago. Would love to have you on. Um, and, and so as we focus on Balancer, so Balancer is an n-dimensional automated market maker built on Ethereum. To someone who has no idea about this world, and let's just frame that, they are starting to understand Bitcoin a little bit. They understand it that there's 21 million of them, that you know some very sophisticated investors like Paul Tudor Jones and others out there are starting to look at it as a method to potentially hedge against impending inflation, if you will. So they're starting to understand some of the mechanisms and some of the reasons that it exists. How would you explain Balancer to someone who is just starting to scratch the surface? Right. So I, I try to make a, an analogy with index funds and ETFs. People are getting more and more used to that in the conventional finance world, like ETFs and index funds are eating up pretty much the like all, all of Wall Street. Uh, in the last 20 years, That it has grown a lot. So the, the way I like to explain it is imagine an ETF or an index fund that is automatically rebalanced without any manager having to, to go out to, to exchanges and sell token A for token B or, or sorry, stock A for stock B. So Balancer allows you to put your Apple stocks, your Amazon stocks, and your um, Tesla stocks. And you say, I want to have 30% of my value in the first one, 30 in the second, and uh, 40 in the third. And Balancer automatically makes sure that this is always the case, even if Tesla skyrockets and, and goes 2x relative to the other two. So that 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 um, so Balancer will automatically sell Tesla shares for you, for you to get the, the upside and, and hedge. So this is more or less how I, I like to explain what Balancer is. Okay, so that makes sense. So if I was out there and let's just say, like in your ex experience, you know, your example, I have a very concentrated portfolio. Many family offices that are listening to the show have a very concentrated portfolio of five or 10, 15 different stocks. Over the history, they've used a lot of very heavily weighted dividend stocks so they can get some some value from there, kind of an ATM on steroids, if you will. And so let's say I have this very concentrated portfolio of those you know 10 different stocks. And instead of having to go to 
a broker or instead of having to do you know my normal kind of mechanisms, I could have something that was basically automated that will rebalance my portfolio based on the risk and the reward that I want to have on a regular basis. Is that basically the way that you can you know kind of break it down? Yeah, uh, it, it can be as simple as just keeping the same like exposure you set out with in the beginning. So always keep 30, 30, 40, or you can like change those weights uh, on the fly. So you can say, well, I, I see that Tesla is, is, is really like crushing it. I want to improve slowly my exposure to Tesla now from 40 to 60% and decrease the other two to 20-20 each. So you can adapt your uh, your portfolio, how you want to rebalance it over time. But the simplest way to do it is just to keep the proportion, the exposure you chose to start with. Right. And then it just goes out to the market and just picks off the what's out there, right? Yeah. The, the nice thing about balancer is actually it, it doesn't actually actively buy what it wants to buy or sell what it wants to sell. It lets people sell what it wants to buy and the other way around. So uh, it's, it's all about the maths behind the, the protocol that uh, make sure that the prices are set in the correct way to incentivize people to buy what your portfolio needs to sell. Does that make sense? Yep. So let's talk about that. So the, the balancer protocol is designed to be composable and has a few types of pools. So there are private pools, shared pools, and smart pools. Tell us about each one of those. Sure. So w- whenever you create a pool, it's uh, by default private. So you're the only one who can put liquidity into it. But you have uh, on the flip side, all the flexibility to change any of the parameters of the pool. And those are what tokens it has, what are the weights, and also the trading fee. So you can change any of those because you're the only one who has money, who uh, who have money, in, or the only one who has money in, in that pool. So uh, the other way to, to like, the, the other type of pool you can have is, as you said, uh, David, it's the <clears throat> the shared pool, mm-hmm. and that pool allows others to put liquidity into it too. So that pool can grow, and anyone can participate. There's like ERC twenty shares that represent ownership of that pool, just like with Uniswap pools. On the flip side, though, that pool is immutable. So in order to protect those external people who are adding liquidity to it, what you have is all the parameters cannot be changed. Why is that important? Because if the parameters could be changed by the creator of the pool, then it could just add uh, a token that they create that has infinite supply, that they have all the supply of the token. They can just drain the whole pool and steal money from everyone, right? So that, that's, that's why that pool is immutable. So people mm-hmm. who are investing money in it, they know for sure, okay, this is 40% WEF, 60% die, and I know I'm not going to have any surprises here. Now, the third type of pool, which is a very interesting one we're working heavily on today, is a hybrid, I would say. It's actually uh, technically a a private pool, Mm -hmm. but that private pool is controlled by a controller that actually is a gateway for external liquidity. So that that owner is a smart contract. It's not like uh, David or Fernando. It's a smart contract that has arbitrary logic in it. And it can, for example, say, all I can do, and you can read my code and, and, and verify that, all I can do is change the trading fee of that pool I control, that private pool that I, that I own. So if you, if you want to put liquidity in that pool, you actually send it to me. I will issue you ERC-20 shares of myself, the controller of that smart pool, and I will just funnel down that liquidity to the private pool I own. 
So it's it's going to be as if you, it's yours, but it's it's uh, technically a private pool that I own. And if you want to redeem your part of it, you just send me back my ERC20 shares. I'll withdraw that liquidity from my own pool and I'll give it back to you. But you have you, you know that I I can control the trading fee. For example, to have a surge pricing uh, pool that has more higher fees when there's more demand for liquidity. People know that it's like Uber. You, you know that sometimes there's like more demand than supply. So what mm-hmm. you have to do is you increase the price, right? People are willing to pay more on a Friday uh, evening when it's raining because they don't want to r- drive themselves. Right. So what, what happens is like in, in Black Thursday, uh, in, that, in that context of Black Thursday, uh, people are just like desperate to close their vaults and they're paying 2%, like easily 2% of fees to trade because otherwise they're going to pay a 13% penalty. So that in that moment, it's really suboptimal to have a, a, a pool, a liquidity pool that's charging 0.2 or 0.3%. You can just raise that to 1% or 2%. That will be awesome for both sides because it's matching supply and demand. Why? Because by doing that, people will still be trading with that pool because they're uh, insensitive to, to that. Uh, and, and that pool will become a lot more profitable because the fees are higher. That in turn will attract more liquidity which will make this pool more liquid and will uh, provide liquidity with a, with with less slippage. So people will trade more. That pool will become more more prof- profitable and mm-hmm. will attract more liquidity. Liquidity and and that's kind of the the, the flywheel that is uh, good for everyone when you're matching supply and demand. And that's possible with a smart pool. People know that they're investing their money there, and the only thing that smart pool controller can do is increase or decrease the trading fee. They cannot add a new token. They can't do anything. But the nice thing of smart pools is that you have different rights. So the controller, the creator of the smart pool can choose to have different types of rights. They can choose to only be able to, to change the trading fee like, like this example, or they can also choose to be able to add new tokens. And they can right. choose a, a period like a lockup or a rage quit period for people to exit their liquidity if, if they are not okay with the token being added uh, or if they feel it's it's an attack by the owner of that pool. That allows, for example, awesome projects like RioT uh, that tokenizes Rio State to add a new property when they uh, manage to tokenize a new, a new house or apartment. Instead of creating a new balancer pool with all the five properties they had before, plus the sixth one, uh, and have everyone migrate from, uh, from the old pool to the new pool, what they can do is just they have a smart pool where they just add this new property and everyone who had the, the, that smart pool ERC20 share, they automatically are now uh, also exposed to the sixth property without having mm. to do anything. So that, that's it. really helpful. So I want to be able to break it down a little bit more. So on the smart pool, for instance, if I was kind of going back to the old world of equities and I was thinking about things and I was on my Bloomberg, I would say, okay, I want to buy X, let's just call it Apple, and I want to make sure that I'm getting under VWAP. I want to make sure I get best execution and I don't want to necessarily, you know, I want to make sure I get a certain price that I feel is executionable. So can I do that on smart pools? Yeah, so there are many, so smart pools, I'd say that you can do that with shared pools. So you can just, uh, so the first thing, the prices of, of all pairs on, 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 on Balancer and Uniswap and other AMMs, they're defined by the market price. So whenever those pool prices are off or they're like, um, yeah, higher than it should be, there is an arbitrage opportunity for someone to, to, if they're higher, to sell to that pool and rebuy it from the external market. And when you sell a token to a pool, 
you make it cheaper. So it's a self-fulfilling feedback loop. So whenever uh, prices of the pools or pairs on the pools are, are off, then market um, actors will just arbitrage and get it back in sync to the external mm -hmm. market. So if you're not buying too much, David, then you, you, you're going to get the market price when you, when you invest in a balance or a Uniswap pool. So that's, that's, um, it's kind of a characteristic of AMMs. They are in sync with the external market. Does that answer your question? Yep. And so I'm curious, how does balancer, so you mentioned AMMs, and that's a new kind of terminology that people will need to get familiar with. One of the things that I believe it does is, I think this is kind of what you're alluding to, is this idea of impermanent loss. How does it eliminate that? Yeah, so impermanent loss, that, that's a, a very controversial topic. And the idea is, uh, so just for, for your listeners, for our listeners to understand what it is. So impermanent loss is how much you would have missed out or, or lost, like joining a pool compared to having held onto your tokens all the way. So let's just think of a, uh, an imaginary uh, example. You have two tokens which are worth one-to-one and you have like 50 of each in the pool. And then you, you, you join a pool that keeps those at 50-50. So you're always gonna have the same value in each of those tokens. So when token A goes up relative to token B, the pool automatically sells that token A, right? In order for the, the amount of value to be still 50-50. So what the pool does is, imagine token A goes uh, from one to four relative to token B. So as token A goes up, it, it starts selling token A and it sells all the way from one until four continuously. When you get to four, so one token A is now worth four tokens B, what, you, what you're going to realize is that now if I had held all the token A's I had in the beginning, all of them would be worth four B. But now actually what I did was I sold a little bit of A at price 1.1, a little bit at price 1.2, 1.3, continuously to all the way up to four. So of course, if you compare those two figures, by rebalancing continuously, you're going to have less than you just uh, you would you would have out if you uh, you would have had if you held your tokens at nominal price now four. So does that make sense? You like you sold all yeah. the way from one to four, and of course you have less than if you had all of them at price four. Now this yes. is this is kind of a consequence of of uh, rebalancing, right? You, you can't really, in my view, you can't really talk about that as as a loss because. Your idea with Balancer is I want to have controlled exposure and I want to rebalance continuously. And the, the idea, why, the reason why people call that impermanent is that if the price goes back to from four to one, then you're going to have exactly the same tokens you had at the beginning, the 50-50, plus all the fees accrued on the way. Because you're not selling those tokens without char charging any fee. You, you're always charging like 0.3 or 0.5 or whatever fee you choose on Balancer, it's a, it's a parameter you can choose. So whenever prices fluctuate and get back to where they were, you make a profit. And I would, I would argue that impermanent loss is just a consequence of rebalancing portfolios. So mm -hmm. even if you just go from one to four and you stop there, it's kind of a, a consequence of having rebalancing. You didn't know when it was 1.5 and you were selling, you didn't know it would go to four, right? You could have gone back to one. So uh, it's, it's kind of uh, really the, the, the fact that you don't have a crystal ball uh, and you want to rebalance it. So impermanent loss is something inherent to that. Right. 
So I want to talk about Balancer and I want to talk about the growth that you've had. And if uh, the, the listeners are, are, are at their computers, they can go to a site called DeFi Pulse, which is something that is becoming very, very useful for those that are trying to understand this world of DeFi open finance. And so if you look at the total value locked, which is a metric that people are starting to debate is something that maybe we should or not use, we don't know yet. But if you look at the TVL uh, of Balancer, uh, it went from just about you know twenty five million dollars, give or take, you know, back around you know June or or May, to roughly where we are right now, about two hundred fifty five million. Of that, you have about six hundred forty five thousand in ETH uh, that is locked in there. So um, looks like there is quite a bit there. Um, and so I'm curious as. We've seen this world exploded, as I said. One of the things that has really exploded with it is the idea of governance tokens. And Balancer has their own BAL, which is distributed uh, to liquidity providers through a process called liquidity mining. So talk to us about that. What is the governance token and what is liquidity mining? Sure. So the main objective of liquidity mining and the governance token is, uh, yeah, the name already says that is to distribute ownership of the protocol to people who want to see it succeed, to people who use it, to people who have the best interest in mind for the protocol. Our idea since the beginning, and that kind of is inherited from the early day MakerDAO community, which were kind of uh, uh, sons of, we, we all have this idea of decentralization. We don't want to be this company, the centralized company controlling protocol and saying what, what direction it should take or what features it should like have in the next version. This is definitely like a long, like a, a long-term um, game plan. We can't expect to have Balancer fully decentralized next year or in two years. We've, we've seen MakerDAO trying to do that for a long time. And yeah, you still like know that the, the healthy of the distribution is still not so good uh, that we need to, dis to distribute more MKR tokens. So yeah, the idea of liquidity mining is to give BAO tokens, the governance tokens, to people who really uh, care about the protocol and we expect to make the best decisions. So the, the most important thing about a decentralized project is not um, the decisions it's making uh, specifically, it's how the process of making future decisions is. So as long as you have a process of uh, evolving decisions and making sure that the right people uh, are, are staked and are, are kind of uh, in the driver's seat for, for uh, decisions, then this protocol has a much higher chance of uh, succeeding in the long term, right? So the idea of, of liquidity mining is nothing but we want this to be decentralized. We want to give out BAO tokens, which are like the governance tokens of the protocol to the people who are using it. And, and we, we thought of many ways to do that. And it turned out that the best way we found, and we're still like having the community improve it and, 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 and give suggestions and every week, or second week, we have votes to uh, to yeah, change things that we believe would make the, the distribution better, for example. We, uh, yeah, so the, the idea of liquidity mining is giving uh, BAO tokens to liquidity providers on Balancer because those are not only, are not only kind of uh, having the risk of uh, contract bugs, they have all the, 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 the amounts that you, you said here, David, like to over 240 million dollars locked. So those are the people who are facilitating trades so there's two sides to balance, right? There's the liquidity providers 
and the traders. The traders can't do any trade if there's not there's no liquidity. So we see the liquidity provider side, the supply side, as the side that has to be incentivized the most or has to be recognized the most. And those guys are getting the BAL tokens every week uh, in, in this program of liquidity mining. Right. I want to touch on something. I wanted to get your insight into this, and it's not something that we prepared for, but I'm sure you can handle it. So this is built on Ethereum, and obviously it's because of the utilization of smart contracts, which have been making this world kind of explode and happen. So you have you know, the supply and demand side, which obviously represents part of an equation with smart contract. So if A happens plus B, then C, et cetera, et cetera. And so everything under the hood, what if you know in this world where you have traders and liquidity providers, et cetera, and there's a dispute. Let's just say hypothetically there's a dispute and someone on the side of the trade is not happy. How does that get resolved? So the, the interesting thing, David, is that the whole system is built in order to for that never to be the case. So there's no way there can be a dispute. There's no way the rules are not known in advance, of course, unless there's a bug. And if there's a bug, then it's like a special occasion that has to be discussed. And probably if there's a bug, it's not going to be like either the traders or the liquidity providers that will uh, get the, the, like the advantage. It will be a third person probably that, uh, that kind of uh, yeah, got, got the advantage and uh, yeah, drained something, some pool or, or took, like, did a, an arbitrage um, trade that um, yeah, impaired both the traders and the liquidity providers. The idea of balancers like and, and trustlessness and, and Ethereum in general is like you never get to have disputes that are unexpected unless there's a bug, of course. D- d- does that make sense or did you mean yeah, that in, in a different way? It does. And so in that event, I'm just curious because the world of insurance on smart contracts is also something that's very interesting. We've been talking – we had Hugh on from Nexus Mutual about a year ago. And it seems that this is with the explosion of DeFi that you know, this is becoming more of an issue. Is is something like insurance on some of these different, you know, kind of pools? Is that something that is happening in your world as well? Yeah, that's a great, a great thing actually to attract more uh, non-savvy DeFi users, right? They they're used to to that in the in the conventional world. Like if anything goes wrong, they are insured and they, they will get their money back. And that's kind of uh, in in that direction. And I think this is really important. And Nexus does that in a very elegant in um, trustless and, and non-custodial way. Uh, and we ha- we have already uh, insurance for, for balancer pools with Nexus. And we're w- looking for ways to kind of uh, in- improve that and extend that to, uh, to bigger amounts, but that's already there. And we don't wanna be the ones doing that, uh, at least for now, because yeah, we, we think we have our plates already very full with all the like the improvements that we're doing to the core protocol uh, with Balancer V2 that's uh, should be should be released next year or early next year or in the first half of next year. So those things are are definitely things that we encourage other people or other teams to work on, uh, and we have a grant uh, kind of program for that, but we're not directly tackling at the moment, David. And I think the last kind of question i've asked this to leshner i've asked this to kane and synthetics and so all those shows are on the library for base layer so people can check them out yield farming has been the talk of the town for the last few months what is the relationship between yield farming and balancer right now yeah so yield farming is a great meme that took defy by storm 
it's it's nothing but uh, liquidity mining, but uh, yeah, in, in wrapped into a meme. I think if you look at it, it's it's just like a way to decentralize ownership of those protocols, and I I, I really like that concept. It could be misused. So whenever there's m- like money and, and rewards and incentives involved, people will try to game it, right? So that's the, that's the reason why Balancer took a different approach to compound in that all our distributions or calculations of liquidity mining are done off-chain so that we can very quickly evolve and iterate and have the feedback from the community to improve that calculation. And that happened already many times. Uh, Compound's distribution is on-chain. So every block, there's like one, I think one comp and 0.5 goes to the supplier, 0.5 to the borrowers. And that's it. It's much harder to, to change that because it's already on-chain. So yeah, we believe that it's, it's a great tool that uh, is firstly meant to distribute ownership. And of course, a, a great byproduct is that it incentivizes the usage of the protocols, liquidity on the protocols. And that has to be used very wisely. We see already um, protocols or, or tools, contracts that do an insta dump. So they, they take all the bow that they accumulated during that week and they, they automatically dump that for, for DAI or USDC uh, to take a quick profit. This is not what we wanted the liquidity mining program to be. We wanted people to be getting bow and use it to vote and like, getting interested in, in, in the protocol and uh, making sure that they help to improve it over time. So naturally, the, the governance will try to find ways to correct that process to, to kind of um, not eliminate because that's impossible, but to dampen and reduce a little bit those uh, rent-seeking or extractive uh, behaviors that we see that are trying to use liquidity mining just to farm yield and to, to get a quick buck. Got it. Um, I lied. I have two more questions. Sorry. Um, I have time. No problem. As I'm thinking about things and as it relates to other governance tokens that have come out recently, and so the distribution of the comp of of the governance uh, token itself, uh, you've seen some larger uh, institutions out there start to take uh, more of the weight of that particular governance token, um, and thus have a little bit more of a say, if you will. Um, and then you've, you've seen some delegation of that governance token to quote unquote, more sophisticated, better, you know, kind of investors, if you will, or participants in the network. How do you, do you challenge that or do you agree with that? And how do you, uh, how do you kind of think about that going forward? Yeah, I I think there's two things in, in that question. The, the, the second part of it is the delegation part, which I really like. And we see that in, in our democracies and uh, how, how things work today. Like you, there's people who are specialized and like senators and, and uh, all the legislators, they, they do that for a living. They're well-informed. And if I like those people, I'll just give them my power to decide because I don't have the time to, 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 to make inform, informed decisions. So I, I, I love delegation. The, the other part, uh, the first part of your question is concentration um, around VCs or, or big investors. That is something I do not like much. I think it's inevitable to start a protocol with, like you, you, need, you need people, you have lots of expenses and costs, you need to pay for that, and VCs are there for that. But I do, I do think that as time goes by, the ownership has to shift away from those VCs and big investors towards the users of a protocol. 
And this is exactly what liquidity mining does. I don't think people would be comfortable um, being part of a uh, quote-unquote decentralized protocol that's owned uh, 40% by one or two VCs. You know, that, that's definitely not something that people will, will feel comfortable with in the long run. So you, you have to have tools and, and, and uh, ways in which the, that ownership is spread. And this is like what Bitcoin did, right? Like if you, if you, uh, give, if you give services or you, you, you uh, provide services to the, to the protocol by mining, by spending electricity, you're getting Bitcoin. And uh, the same for, for liquidity mining. If you're providing a service to the protocol, you're putting your liquidity there, you're allowing people to trade, you have that, uh, what pe- some, many people think is a risk, the impermanent loss risk. Uh, you, 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 have, you should be somehow kind of, uh, you should be increasing your, your voice, your say in the governance of the system. And again, this is, this is a governance token that is kind of a, uh, kind of a joker card, like you, you, you can do anything with it. Uh, and one of the things we, we think will be uh, possible and, and, and maybe even likely is that at some point when Balancer gets to add a lot of values, lots of people are using Balancer, total value locked is, is, is huge. It's something that's really adding value to the, to the ecosystem. Then probably uh, or possibly, <clears throat> possibly governance will decide to, um, to start charging a very small protocol fee that will be um, somehow will, will be accruing value to BAL token holders because they like senators and, and, and legislators, they, they, they have a salary. So th- those BAL token holders, they should be somehow rewarded for the work they're doing uh, by making the right decisions, by keeping informed, by being involved with the protocol. So I, I do see that as a very likely outcome in the future. Interesting. That's really interesting. Um, great insights into that. And as I said, the last question, I mean it this time. Um, for the next six months, what should we be on the lookout in terms of roadmap for development and things that you guys are putting to market? We're very excited, David, about our smart pools uh, and smart pool factories. So the idea is that now like you, you have the first uh, smart pools out there and the, the first ones that did a, that, that built, built a smart pool on their own uh, were the PyDAO guys. They have an amazing product. If you don't know it, it, you should definitely uh, research about it. It's really a, a great way of using Balancer uh, and building on top of Balancer. So they were the uh, pioneers of smart pools. What we are about to launch, hopefully by the end of August, is a factory and a front end, a UI for anyone to be able to create their own smart pool. And that smart pool will have different rights. As I told you, like you, you could choose to create a smart pool that uh, allows you to only change the trading fees or and or uh, add new tokens and or change weights and or add a whitelist. So if you're like a small project that wants to have liquidity in your token, you're not gonna be able to pay, I don't know, $200,000 for uh, uh, the listing fee on Binance. You're gonna go to Balancer and you're gonna set up this uh, liquidity bootstrapping pool where you have the right to change the weights and everyone knows uh, reading the code from that smart pool and that code will be audited by us. So it's, it, as long as you use that factory, we can ensure that that code was audited, right? So uh, anyone can know, okay, this is a smart pool that was audited by Balancer. The characteristics are they cannot add new tokens, but they can change the weights. So that means that, yeah, they will be selling slowly their project tokens for ETH and DAI. So yeah, that, that's kind of to make it more democratic. And uh, the, the PyDAO guys are great, but they have a lot of uh, brilliant programmers and coders that 
very few teams do. So we want to make sure that everyone can use uh, a smart pool without knowing code or being uh, or having uh, access to great programmers like they do. Awesome. We'll be on the lookout for that for sure. And uh, we'll have you back on in a few months to talk about the development of that. Let's have a little fun. What we'd like to do at the end with our guests is just get to know them a little bit more on a personal level. And so two things that we always like to hone in on are anything that you've read recently, any books or articles that you've read recently that resonated with you that you had to go tell your friends and family about or colleagues and then any music that you like? Sure. Um, it, it's hard to read books when you have uh, small kids at home. Tell and me about such, it. <laughs> <laughs> you know it right there in such uh, crazy times and, and busy times. But a book I recently read that I liked a lot was the, it's actually a, a, a trilogy, the three body problem. Uh, I actually got this uh, recommendation um, by by the crypto space like the crypto twitter um yeah so it was uh definitely worth it and music i like is jazz i i i like like just instrumental music and i i love jazz to relax like playing in the background while i work or have lunch or do do stuff so i always have some jazz playing in the background miles davis or somebody else yeah, uh, I have the channel uh, BMG Coffee that I, I like. And yeah, there's Miles there and, and lots of otters. I love it. Everyone uses Spotify and uses these channels these days. We're all becoming <laughs> we're all becoming programmed. We can't even uh, – it's crazy. Uh, where can people find out more about Balancer? And if there are people out there who want to potentially get involved, either you know as an investor or someone who is building out there, where can they find out more about getting involved? So where can they find out general and then where can they get more involved with you? Sure. The, the the best place is our Discord channel, and we can leave a link on uh, the show notes for, mm-hmm. for that. And our Twitter, so all, all the announcements or cool things that are happening around Balancer, we always tweet about it. And there's no Telegram uh, channel, by the way, so a group. If, if you are in a Balancer Telegram group, it's a scam. Beware. Um, and yeah, we're, we're open to, to DMs and very, uh, yeah, very welcoming a lot of people who want to work on Balancer and, and join the community. And I can be a testament to that because I wanted to get Balancer on the show and I hit him up on DMs and Twitter and look what happened a week later. So there you go. Um, Fernando, this was a great conversation. Fernando Martinelli, the co-founder of Balancer, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We're going to catch up with you again because, as I said, this world is explosive and so much interest is happening right now um, relative to what's happening in the world. So thank you for coming on, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks a lot, David. It was a pleasure. Great conversation. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.